Nonprofit leaders talk the talk about building leadership pipelines. We all know it's important, not just to the sustainability of our organizations, but to the retention of great folks that come with an investment in their skills and attributes, enabling them to see a career path within your organization. Yet lack of resources for professional development and lack of time to even develop a plan are huge obstacles. And so the talk remains talk with no walking. Top all of this off with the uncharted territory of a multi-generational workplace with Gen Z folks arriving in our workforces. It's a brave new world managing and developing Gen Z staff. A former coaching client told me a story. Her organization is big, and she is, to her credit, working to identify and invest in emerging leaders. She sat with a Gen Z rock star, talked about their leadership potential and how the organization wants to invest in leadership development work for her. The staff member politely declined. What? Is it possible that we need to begin considering that the pipeline starts at a younger age? My guest today is quite sure of it. Sarah Hernholm is a teacher. It's in her DNA. She believes that the future depends on investing in leadership development of young people, like tweens and teens. In 2009, she left teaching and developed a platform where youth could get their ideas heard and serve as leaders in their communities. This platform became WIT, one of the only college credit social entrepreneur and leadership programs in the country for high school teens. WIT stands for Whatever It Takes, and Sarah has been doing just that for close to 15 years. Today, Sarah will educate and advocate for the voices and power of tweens and teens and share stories about the kind of impact they're having. She'll get real about how nonprofits are missing the opportunity to engage and ignite young people, often dismissing the kinds of contributions and insights they can bring to your work. You'll leave with a greater understanding of the superpowers of teens and tweens with actionable advice about how to engage this demographic in your work and a new, broader definition of what it means to invest in a leadership pipeline. That sounds like it's worth a conversation. Greetings and welcome to Nonprofits Are Messy. I'm your host, Joan Gary, founder of the Nonprofit Leadership Lab, where we help smaller nonprofits thrive. I'm also a strategic advisor for executive directors and boards of larger nonprofits. I'm a frequent keynote speaker, a blogger, and an author on all things leadership and management. You can learn more at joangary.com. I think of myself as a woman with a mission to fuel the leadership of the nonprofit sector. My goal with each episode is to dig deep into an issue I know that nonprofit leaders are grappling with by finding just the right person to offer you advice and insights. Today is no exception. Sarah Hernholm is a former elementary school teacher turned entrepreneur. In 2009, she left the classroom to create the international nonprofit WIT, whatever it takes. At WIT, Sarah works with audiences around the world who are interested in using their voice and ideas to launch businesses, nonprofits, and or social movements. WIT also focuses on helping teens and tweens develop emotional intelligence, soft skills, and an entrepreneurial mindset. I love this. Since launching WIT, Sarah has created the Teen Tween Coaching Program 360 Self, Inc. She also writes for Forbes and Today's Show Parent, hosts the Do WIT podcast, speaks on stages and Zoom rooms around the world, currently writing her book, 11 Tips for Doing Wit. Sarah has become a national leader in entrepreneurial education and youth empowerment. Sarah, thank you for the work you're doing and for offering what I know are going to be some real aha moments for the folks who are listening today. So welcome and thank you. 
Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here and hanging out with you. Yeah. So let's grab a little bit of your backstory. So in 2009, here you are, you were an elementary school teacher. Was this your chosen profession? Had this been your sort of thing? I mean, some folks just know the teaching is in their blood. Were you kind of in that classroom, kind of prepared to settle in for a life as a teacher? Or was teaching always a means to an end for you? I did not grow up thinking I was going to be a teacher, although I played teacher a lot when I was little, lining up my dolls and stuffed animals and running a classroom in my <laughs> in my bedroom. So that I, I was doing. But no, I was really interested in getting involved and in being an actor, or being involved with film. And so that was my first career. I got into education after the last film that I worked on where I left LA and kind of wanted to start a new chapter, a new life, and ended up taking a teaching job in my neighborhood. And it really changed me. A lot of interesting things came up for me around being of service to others in a way that was very different than my previous career. And the joy of helping a child learn and and gain self-confidence. And so that was kind of what was what was going on, bubbling up for me. But I didn't think even with that first teaching job that it was what I was going to do forever. But I started think falling in love with it. I think I really was like, this feels really purposeful, really in alignment with what I care about. So maybe this is the this is the route to go. And I was talking to my dad one night on the phone and he said, then just go back and get your teaching credential. If you're going to be a teacher, be the best teacher that you can be. And I thought, okay, well, that sounds like a good idea. I moved from San Francisco back to San Diego, went to school full-time to get my teaching credential and started teaching. And I really did love it. And I would still be a teacher today if the... If you hadn't put that banner on the classroom wall? (laughs) Yeah, and if the landscape was a little different. (laughs) Yeah. Tell me about the story about putting the banner on the wall of your classroom. And the banner read, whatever it takes. And what, what prompted you to do that? And at the time you popped it up there which kind of reminds me of Ted Lasso and Believe, right? Mm-hmm. When you did put when you put that banner up, did you have any idea where that one banner was going to lead? No, and I remember it very vividly and a classroom is a generous word. I was in a can- I was in a trailer. <laughs> my cla- my classroom was a trailer and gosh, it, I have such fond memories of that trailer and we had such a beautiful family in that in that trailer. And how, how old were the kids? Fourth grade. I'm still in touch with those, a lot of those kids. I mean, they follow me on Instagram. I engage with them on Instagram. They write me sweet messages or we just also awesome. hear a song and then they'll say, oh my gosh, it reminds me of when we used to sing this in class. And how so old are they I, now? They've got to be in their 20s. Yeah. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're in their 20s. And some of them are married, some of them have babies. Some of them have gone on to run their own businesses. Some of them have become teachers. It's really, I'm, it's such a privilege to be a teacher, to be involved in a child's life for over eight hours a day, to have adults, parents trust you with their child. I mean, it's such a privilege, such an honor. And I was teaching at a public school, very okay. different demographic and vibe than I grew up in. I grew up in a private school system and this was, you know, uniforms and things like that. So this was a little different for me. And not Catholic school, is it? No, 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 not Catholic school. Okay. And in a very structured home where we came home from school and we changed into our clothes and went to a sports practice, a dance practice, something like that. And then came home and we had almost like a study hall in my house. 
right? And get it, and then you have dinner, and then you go to bed. And there was no TV during the week. We could watch TV on Fridays, but it was very like didn't feel like restrictive. It just that was what the house. That's, that's how it ran, and it's a, important. Right. Yeah, there it's was a cadence. To point out to, yeah, definitely. Because I felt like everybody grew up that way. <laughs> And so I had these kids though coming in and like not doing their homework. And I was like, this is so weird. Like I couldn't even imagine not doing my homework growing up. I couldn't even imagine going up to my teacher and saying, I didn't do it. And not even feeling like apologetic for that. Yeah. Well, and, I, um, I would say that Catholic school has instilled in me to this very day that I I couldn't imagine not doing my homework. Yeah, it's really, you know, I grew up in the era of if you got in trouble at school the parent assumed the teacher was right and you were wrong. Mm-hmm. And it's a dis- different time. Yeah. And, so, and so, yeah. And so, so here I was are in, my in this fourth grade classroom. Classroom. Here I am talking to, these, talking to these kids, working with these kids. And this kid came in and had his homework and I pulled him aside and I was like, why didn't you do your homework? And he was like, I was watching the Simpsons. And he said it just like that. I'm like, <laughs> I'm still like, come up with an excuse, like a better excuse. And he's like, yeah, I was watching with my parents. I'm like, well, did they know you had homework? And said, yeah, but they said, like, just don't worry about it. Like, let's all, we just want to watch the show. And I thought, huh, okay. And it kind of made me, gave me pause and there's nothing else to say to the kiddo, you know, I mean, moving on because I wanted to think about what I had just heard. And what I realized is there are a lot of young people out there in the world that for what, for whatever reason, don't necessarily have the structure at home for homework time, for this time, for that time. And it's not a, I'm not trying to do a slide against parents. It's just what it is. Yes. So I, that night I'm like, we got to just do whatever it takes in this classroom. And it's going to mean that some of my kids are going to have to say no to things like watching TV and saying yes to going into their room and getting their homework done and just having to grow up a little bit faster if I'm going to get them on track to compete, in quotes, with what I know is happening in other schools. I just, if we're going to get these kids ready to qualify for some of these positions in schools or whatever, let's get them prepped. So that's where it all kind of came from. And I wrote it, I, I painted it out. I still have it. It's folded up in my office. And wrote whatever it takes and pinned it on the wall. I, I taped construction paper together, so put your paper together. And that's what it was. And they came in the next day and I gave them the speech about why we do whatever it takes. Total buy-in from the kids. They loved it. We had a whatever it takes cheer that we did. And it really just was, became the motto of the classroom and later on the name of my business. So how do you jump from, right? So you inspired them, right? You ignited them actually. So there's a long way from, it's a long way from I put up a banner and we ignited a classroom Mm -hmm. of fourth graders to a whole enterprise. And so clearly you didn't at that time think there was an enterprise that was following. But how did, just briefly sort of, how did you start to kind of sort of cogitate that there was some bigger there there? Well, whatever it takes, the motto grew into an action that we would take around giving back because Hurricane Katrina struck during that time. Got it. And our and my students said we should do whatever it takes to help them. And so we created this whole program where they did lemonade stands and chores around the house that their parents paid them for and garage sales and raised money to supply books to a library that had been destroyed during the hurricane. Got it. And that's kind of where that started. And then later on, when I left teaching, I wanted to take that concept of young people giving back and taking initiative and turn it into something. At the time, I didn't know what it was going to be. But what I did know for sure is that when 
young people and adults make the effort to give back and be of service to others, they feel better about themselves. And so I had seen my students gain greater self-confidence. I'd seen their grades increase. I've seen friendships blossom in different ways because we were working on this collective initiative. And I thought we got to do more of that. We got to do more of that. We put our, we put, we pit kids against each other a lot in school and we need to bring them together more. When I talk about volunteerism and giving back, there's this like crazy study. It's true. It just happens to be a little crazy that people who do good works like volunteer, they actually spend fewer nights in the hospital. I totally believe right, it. Right, right. I mean, it is really good for you in like every imaginable way. Mm-hmm. So what is the WIT program today? Let's let's take our listeners through what this enterprise looks like. And yeah, let's, let's just start there. Yeah. So we went from a classroom concept to a local nonprofit to now an international nonprofit where we solely focus on tweens and teens and we help them launch businesses, nonprofits, social impact projects that are of their idea and and creation and experience, and we help them turn them into reality. And we do that through online programming, college credit courses that we offer young people. We also do it through hackathons that we host around the country. And we also do it through a virtual online community where we bring like-minded tweens and teens together to solve problems and learn from each other and support one another in their initiatives. So let's just just make sure, for those who don't know, can you d- define a hackathon? Sure. How we define a hackathon is we provide a location, <laughs> the time, the place, for about 40 to 50 teenagers to come together to, quote, hack the problems in their community and then come up with solutions to those problems. And the way that we get them excited about this work is by reminding them that adults created these problems. (laughs) Adults don't know how to fix them. And it's time for teens to come in and do the work that the adults aren't doing. And that ignites some fun energy in a young person. It's such an interesting thing to consider. One of, I mean, I, in the open, I talk about Gen Z employees and and how their different mindset. And one of the things I, you know, I've read a lot about is how Gen Z and millennials really do not trust institutions, right? And they don't trust leaders. And when you think about it, there's not a lot of evidence to support that they should, right? When we think about the problems in our society and the organizations or our government that are supposed Mm -hmm. to actually be part of the solution, they don't really hold up very well. Nope. Yeah. I mean, why give me a reason for them to trust that the school system has their best interests in mind when the school system isn't really prepping them for what life looks like outside of those, those school walls. Right. So they should push back. So this, you've got something going on that's really very interesting. So when you help them to craft ideas for businesses or social impact organizations, what's the piece that that brings it to life for them in terms of either funding or you know, sort of that like, like we can have a, you have a good idea, mm-hmm. but if you can't actually execute it, mm-hmm. it's you know, you you take it only so far. So how does the WIT program actually? help these young people actually bring the ideas to life? 
It's really just as simple as taking one action step a day, but yet if it really was that simple, everyone would do it, right? Right. I mean, you think about, I I go on a lot of plane trips and I tell people what I do for a living if they ask and they say, oh, I've had had an idea for this or I have an idea for that. And then you ask them what they've done on it and they'll say, oh, I've just been so busy. Right. So, you know, we, we are that coach. We are that guide. We are that facilitator for them. We are that accountability buddy for them to say, if you really want this to be a reality, here's what you're going to need to do to do it. And we don't like to say that we have homework at WIT because who likes homework? Nobody. We like to remind them these are the action steps. And we like to remind them that they chose to be in the WIT program and that they said that they cared about this issue. And so we like them to take ownership over all of it and say, well, you said that you cared about this. You said you wanted to move the needle on this. You said you wanted to make a difference and a change. Here's how you do it. So we bring that guidance, that expertise, that network to say, we know how to help you make this a reality. Here is what you need to do to to get there. Are you going to do it? And then we have these 11 tips for doing WIT, which are really the foundation of our program and the tools that we give our our young people to use as the guide and the motivators to to, to go from idea to execution very quickly. And I really encourage everyone to do this if you work with young people especially in the entrepreneurship space with young people. Don't talk about entrepreneurship. That's why we say do wit, like take action on it. Because sometimes we sit too long in the prepping to try to make something quote perfect. Right. And young people need to learn that they can start and they can do, and it can be messy and they can fail. And there's no space for them to get messy and fail in the current education system. So we need to give it to them because that's where you build that grit and resilience for life. Yeah. So you talk about 11 tips and I, we won't go mm-hmm. through all of them, but can you give us, can you give us an example of a couple of them? Yeah. Just based on what I was telling you about, like where we tried to have them take ownership over things. One of the tips is can't want it more than you. And so we'll tell the young people like, we, we want this, like we can see this happening. I can get you on TV. I can put you in Forbes. I can get you the funding that you need, but I can't want it more than you. So you have right. to decide like, how much do you want this? And something that we do that I think is really important and valuable, we help young people take this like really big idea that's really on their heart. Let's say it's, I want to end homelessness. I want to make sure that every kid has access to education. I want to make sure every kid can read. And we say, okay, how about making sure that five kids can read by the end of the summer? How about five? And they go, they kind of look at us like, but that's not good enough. And we have to remind them, Oh, but that's more than that person's done. It's more than zero. It's more than you did yesterday. More than zero. Yeah. And you might have five. And you might, what will you learn by helping Mm -hmm. those five Mm -hmm. that could actually? So is is helping the five the thing, or is it also kind of your ability to test drive? what helping the five looks like or how I could actually help 25, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's sort of sort of the interesting thing is thinking about the five. In and of itself, that could be fine. It also could be a bit of a Petri dish for you to understand yeah, and learn completely. what it might take to help a hundred or a thousand, right? You know what else it does? Is it also that thing that comes up for them is, wait a second, I don't really like this. 
Yeah. I don't really want to do this. Mm-hmm. I don't, I'll, all of a sudden now I'm in the events business. I, I'm in the, in the coordinating volunteer business because now I'm here coordinating my friends to get help young people do a tutoring program. But all I want to do is really do one-on-one work with young people. Like I, that's so important to learn that. Oh it's not about goodness. quitting because that's not what we support, mm-hmm. but it's about pivoting. It's about going, oh, I thought literacy was my jam. But then once I started implementing this program quickly, I learned, whoa, whoa, whoa. We don't even need to do literacy. What we really need to do is get them a book, like get books in their hand to yeah. that are fresh books, not used books that are not books with torn pages. Like you can pivot your ideas and wit. And if you're not pivoting in wit, we actually see that to be concerning because when you go out to the demographic that you want to serve, you should be constantly curious and constantly learning. You think you know what they need. Go test it out and then go, wait a second. I thought it was this. It's really this. And then we get that big question. Am I willing to change what I'm doing to serve the people that I want to serve? Or is my ego... No, 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 no. It's Sarah's way or no way. And that we we want them to learn at a very young age. If you're going to be out there serving in business, for profits, nonprofits, listen to your customer and build what they need, not what Sarah needs, not what you know Mary needs. Right. So interesting. Okay, so now talk to me about wits success metrics. I'm going to ask you to tell a story or two, of course, mm-hmm. but how do you know that this program is successful? Well, you can look at things like how many people go off to be an entrepreneur or run their own business, or you could say how many people come back and teach at WIT, that, you know, volunteer their time at WIT or guest speak at WIT and just in their words, how much the, the program meant to them. But I think the thing that I really want to touch on in this conversation is that Wit uses entrepreneurship as the vehicle to teach young people emotional intelligence, self-confidence, self-value, self-worth. And those things are a little bit harder to measure, right? Like we can do those, we can do the the intake form that says, like on a scale of one to five, how did you, you know, how would you rate these things? And post wit, you can take that and you can see that it's moved the needle. But this is such an interesting, I don't think I've talked about this, but I can see there's something that I get to see in the work that I do. I get to see a young person go from doubting themselves to realizing that maybe they actually do matter. Mm. And not to get too heavy, too quick on this podcast, but, and maybe I should stick around a little bit longer. High school is very tough. Middle school is brutal. I do this work because I need, to the core of my being, I need young people to know that they matter. And I need them to have tangible proof that they do. Mm -hmm. And grades are not always tangible proof for people. And nor do I think, you know, but you, you seeing a young person read because of you, or get a prom dress because of you. you. Maybe you did a fundraiser and you, that was to provide all these young people prom dresses because they didn't have access to that and they weren't getting funds to go buy something like that. But then you hosted this really cool event, which has, I'm, I'm speaking about a project that happened where right. they did this and you did that. Like you brought that experience to these people. Like, are you fed them during school breaks? Because during school breaks, lunch and breakfast aren't provided anymore. So your project called Full, Full Bags, Full Bellies, provided a dignified way for young people, for families to get 
food during those breaks. Like you did that. And you did that at 14 years old. So stick around and see what else you can do. It's very, very important to me that people understand it's just the vehicle. Entrepreneurship is just the vehicle that we're using to to teach the bigger things for us. It's actually a quite an existential thing for humans in general. There's a incredible TED talk by an EMT and he decided it's a, it's a digression, but I'll just I guess stay with me on this. Mm-hmm. He would generally know in the ambulance whether somebody was going to make it or not. Like he was, had done it for a long time. And he, for a long, long time, he basically said, no, I, I'm not going to tell them. If they ask me, am I going to make it? I'm not going to say. I'm not a doctor, right? But I, I sort of I felt disingenuous. And so he started to say, you might not make it. And the questions that these people asked a complete stranger, do you think people will remember me? And then to him, a complete stranger, will you remember me? right? The need to matter is, it's so deeply profound. And when you put yourself in the shoes of a kid, right, especially a middle school kid, right, or a high school kid, there's just so much stacked against you in the mattering column. And so I'm just quite taken by that statement, Sarah. Yeah, we don't want their worth to be measured by their Instagram views and likes or by a report card. We need them to know that they have something inside of them that is needed in this world and it needs to come out and it needs to come alive. And I know it sounds woo-woo to people and I know people want me to ground it more in reality, whatever. If you've done the work and you're you're living a life like that, you know the feeling. I think for me, it's like, I want to give young people the feeling that I was able to create in my life, having struggled with my own ways. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just wanting to be that adult for them that I wish that I had had at different times in my life. And when you do something that lights somebody else's life up, or you do something that makes a tangible impact outside of school, outside of grades, outside of being popular or going viral, you can't take that away from somebody. You know, you know what that is. You, you, people listening, you, you know, and you and I right now, there is that feeling where you go, nobody can take that away from me. I know what that is. I know what I did. I know what we, what we built, what we created. And then I want them to stack on that. I just want them to stack on that and almost turn off the noise of the other BS that's happening during those years. All right. I do have a question about the reach of your organization, you talk about Mm -hmm. it internationally. How do kids find their way to you? And kind of what kind of a, you know, to to give people a sense of the scope and reach of your work, that'd be really helpful, I think. Well, I think we all, all of us that are silver lining hunters, you know, did did a lot of that hunting during COVID. And we used to be an in-person organization, solely in-person, running programs in different cities across the country. When we took it virtual pretty fast, we took it online pretty fast. We got people from around the world. And it was like, whoa, 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 now you gotta do things in different time zones. And but it speaking, tying it into what we just talked about, I felt very purposeful during that time. I ended up creating three hours of live programming, 
Monday through Friday for like three three months, wow, if not longer, to create spaces for young people around the world to come together. So that's kind of how what happened. People like found up there. Sure, they were googling us. They were parents were desperate at that time to find something for their kids to do to get plugged into something. So that was what happened there. And then since then, we get we do get a lot of press at Wit. So people can see us on TV or see us in magazines, and we might get the call from a parent or a college counselor will find us and say, you know, will you consider this applicant? That's one of my clients. We also have a podcast where we interview teens, and I think. There's not a lot of podcasts that put teens in the spotlight like we do. Right. And so teens find that and they go, well, I, mean, I want to be part of this thing. Yeah, what is this awesome. thing? And they do, people do know that at WIT, we are very good at putting the teen in the spotlight. And although it's uncomfortable for some of them, deep down inside, they do want that moment. It's hard for them to admit that sometimes, but we encourage them to to lean into that yeah, and sure. do good and earn that, earn that spotlight by doing good. Well, and, the, and that's a means to an end too, right? The more people that hear and know about the good work I do or, you know, or your mm-hmm. young person does, like there's a value in that. It's not just for its own sake too. Right. The Nonprofit Leadership Lab is led by Joan Gary and is the world's best online community for leaders of small nonprofits. Learn how to raise more money, build the board of your dreams, grow a large audience of supporters, and so much more. To learn more and request an invitation to become a member, please go to nonprofitleadershiplab.com slash podcast. That's nonprofitleadershiplab.com slash podcast. We're talking with Sarah Hernholm, who is a former elementary school teacher and entrepreneur, and in 2009 left the classroom to create an international nonprofit called WIT, Whatever It Takes. And she really focuses on helping teens and tweens to develop emotional intelligence, soft skills, and an entrepreneurial mindset. And she's sort of become a national leader in entrepreneurship, education, and youth empowerment. Let's shift gears a little bit, Sarah. And I know that it is going to be a sort of gross generalization here, but I'd love to hear your insights about what you're learning about the tweens and teens in our society today, what motivates them, what they care about, what frustrates them, how they're, you know, sort of how they are unique, you know, just because if we are as I have made this hypothesis at the beginning, that these, this is the early stage of the leadership pipeline, we got to actually have some deeper understanding of, of who, these, who, this, who this cohort is. Well, I think every, <laughs> I, I don't want people to be disappointed with this, my first answer. That's okay. But it's just the truth, and it's kind of funny. They feel misunderstood, and... <laughs> Which teenage generation hasn't, you know? I think that's what's really wonderful is it's not that complicated. We just have to be, we just have to remind ourselves, the adults in the room, what we felt like when we were a teenager. And then that's a wonderful starting off point. I mean, sure, you can read books and you can do all those things, but the best way to understand a teenager or a teenager is to go, how was I thinking and feeling when I was in fifth grade, sixth grade? What was ninth grade like for me? What was it? And it's not hard for many of us to go back to those days and go, oh, yeah, there was like this thing and that thing. Okay, maybe it was different back then. Maybe we didn't know we were left out until Monday because we couldn't log on to Instagram or Snapchat. Right. But we found out on Monday. 
that a party went down without us. <laughs> and so those feelings of being left out or feeling like we weren't enough or feeling like we didn't belong, they're the same. They just manifest differently in this tech age and with this generation. But that's where we need to start. We just need to start with a little bit of empathy and understanding that they they feel misunderstood and that while they are told that they are the phone, you know, they, they're always on your phone, you're always on your phone, you're always on your phone, but who created the system and the platform to get them there and who's mm-hmm. keeping them there? Mm-hmm. The adults. So yeah. that's yeah, a, weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> people getting upset <laughs> with people for doing the thing that you've paid millions of dollars for them to get addicted to. So I'm really big on like, let's not put them down, mm-hmm. right? Just like I would say to the young people that I work with, don't disregard the older generation. You need them. They are a valuable resource to you. Your grandparents, the senior center in your community, go volunteer there. Go, right? We've had so many young, we've encouraged so many young people to engage with the older generation and really, really beautiful projects and nonprofits have come from that. One was serving seniors by a girl, Natasha Taibbi. She started this, gosh, now it's going to be like over eight years ago because now she's off running and doing a, running a startup. Fabulous. And she would go to this serving, this senior center in downtown San Diego, and she would run arts classes. And she would do like, if I remember correctly, she would start some of the classes with just a prompt, like, like paint your favorite childhood memory. And then she'd put the watercolors out and then they would do that. And then she would have sit down with them and then she would have them tell the story. And she created like a book about it. And wow. she talked about it being uncomfortable at times. And she talked about it being sad that they didn't have family around and all of that. But she also saw the value in and that connecting and how we are a lot more alike than we are different. And I do with, I, that, I'm very, very big on that with our, with our young people, our teenagers and tweenagers. I don't let them dis, disregard the older generation. And just like, I don't let the older generation disregard the younger generation. Yep. That's, it's awesome. There's a, a Jewish social justice organization called Derote. And derot actually is a Hebrew word for, I believe, intergenerational or multi-generational. And they have a program on, it's in New York City, they have a program on Friday afternoons where tweens and teenagers mm-hmm. come to Derote's space to play chess with some of the seniors that visit the center. And you just, you, you can watch it and you don't know who's learning more, Right. Yeah, I mean, we, I think that made me think of a project that was started. I wish I could remember the name. I'm blanking on it right now, where these teens went in and they taught tech. They went into the senior centers and and helped them with their phones. And it was kind of like, there's no stupid questions. And there's no, and it helped them get more patience. These young people have more patience. And then, they, then that rippled out to more patience with their own parents that are like learning tech at a different pace, you know? But it also made our young people feel really valuable and special and smart because they got to go into this room and be the teachers when they spend most of the day being taught too. Yes. They got the, the role, there was this like role reversal. Yes, yeah, awesome. So, That's awesome. I, 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 oh, I'm sorry, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I think it's, I also want the listener to know, like, we don't care how long a business or project lasts. Because sometimes people want to say like, 
who, what's the exit strategy? Or do you have any companies that like made billions and millions of dollars? And I'm like, that's not what we're in the business of. Like we're, they're so, <laughs> we're not looking at the exit. We're looking at the journey and we're looking at the lessons learned along the way that come from real world learning and real world application of knowledge. And I think that's important for other organizations to consider in their own work is, are we too focused on this end goal that might sound flashy? And if I could say to you like, oh yeah, we we had a kid's sell their company for $10 million. Yeah, that could be cool. Maybe that's going to happen. Who knows? I'd like to talk to you about, God, just the kids that, like I said earlier, that thought maybe I'll, I'll give this a shot. Like maybe I'll stick around and and engage in this life and and be of service and see what happens. Maybe I'll just try wit. I mean, I can't even tell you how many kids don't, especially when I was teaching, didn't really like me in the beginning. If I was running a wit class, they're like, who is this Miss Hernholm? You know, <laughs> and then at the end, they're like, oh my gosh, I love you. Because <laughs> we all need people in our lives to call the greatness out from us, <laughs> you know, because we all have it in us. Yep. Just got to get it called out and helped out. So let's now talk very specifically to the people who are listening. Mm -hmm. Nonprofit executive directors, board members. And when we spoke a few weeks ago, when we spoke a few weeks ago, you talked about, and you were quite incredulous about it, in fact, (laughs) that nonprofits, especially those who serve young people, do not actively engage young people. So you get to tell listeners just how foolish that is and what they might do differently based on, you know, sort of based on what you have learned. Well, I know for sure that when you said that, there are so many listening going, that's not true. Our organization does. Congratulations. That's awesome. Go teach people how to do that. If you're already doing it, fantastic. Then this this isn't for you. This part isn't for you. (laughs) You should pat yourself on the back and then you should write a blog about how you do it. And you should send it to me and maybe I'll interview you for my Today Show articles that I write. So if you're already doing this work, fantastic. Reach out to me. Let's let's write about it. But if you're not doing this work, one of the reasons you're probably not doing it is because you just don't really know how to do it. And you're probably thinking like, I don't know, how do you engage a teenager? Like, how do you talk to them? Like, I mean, we love that we help them and we like working with them, but like, can they really come to a meeting and sit there at the table and contribute as an advisory board member or that kind of thing. You can start just simply by going to maybe five of the youth in your organization and saying, hey, can you come? We're going to have some pizza. I'm ordering some pizza. Can you come sit down with us? Just wanted to talk to you about a few things because, you know, we built this thing for you and we just want to check in and see if it's giving you what you need. If that's not something that you've done before, they're probably going to look at you like, what's the catch? That's why you have to have the pizza because they'll come. (laughs) (laughs) Pizza, candy, they'll show up and just say, it's just an hour, give you some pizza. What's the kind of pizza do you want? We're going to order it. And then when you sit down, try not to justify, like try not to talk over them. Try to listen more than you're talking. And if they say something like, well, you don't, we don't really do enough where the kids are the leaders. Don't say, yeah, but we do blah, 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 right. blah, blah, blah. Because mm-hmm. then they're going to be like, okay, well, then I guess you didn't want us to tell you. The best thing to say would be like, tell me more about that. Right. Okay, well, would you want to, do you have time for that? That's my big thing with young people because young people do like to tell me, oh, we wish we had this. We wish we had that. We would, which should do this. And I go, fantastic. We will implement it next week. Just want to confirm, you have two hours extra a week 
to engage in that program if we create it? Mm, no, we don't. We don't have two hours extra. Okay, well, what do you have? Do you have 30 minutes? So I just think it starts with that conversation and the listening more than talking. And this is the key. This is so important. And I just wrote about this. Do not post this meeting if you will not execute on at least one of the things that the young people tell you to do. Right. Don't. Because that is what they experience on a regular basis. And that is why they roll their eyes and they say, well, it tells, you know, look at every kid that has said to their school administration, the homework's too much. The homework load's too much. And the school goes, okay. And they, and then they go, okay, okay, we hear you. And the kid says, it's stressing us out. The mental health, it's like, it's not good. It's too much homework. And they go, okay, okay. And you know what the school does? We've launched a mental health club after school on Monday from three to five. Which they don't have time for because they have too much homework. They don't have time for that. Mm -hmm. Take the homework down. Like, stop telling young people you care about their mental health and then give them four hours of homework a night. It's unacceptable. And so that's the biggest problem, I think, with adults that are involved in these organizations is it's performative. A lot of the times it's performative. Like they say they're going to listen. They say they they care, but they don't take action on any of it. Take action on at least one thing before you leave the meeting, ask the kids, tell the kids, we're going to commit to launch, to taking, executing on one of these things. What's the top one that you want us to do? You'll mm-hmm. teach them, you'll model for them that you can't do everything right away Yeah, as a leader but you're going to prioritize one of them and then you're going to take action on it. But don't have the meeting if you're just going to... If you're, if you're not committed to doing at least one thing, right? Just, just one thing. Just one thing. So are you advocating for informal engagement as you've just described, as opposed to, oh, I don't know, a youth advisory board or you know any number of constructs that nonprofits might consider? I'm I'm fine with all of it, right? I'm fine with the youth advisory board, but if you had you I don't think it's really the best approach to go from like nothing to a youth advisory board. We're taking applications. Here's a Google form, apply to be on the youth advisory board. We're gonna meet right. once a month and we're doing it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yep. For what purpose? Why are you meeting once a month? Do you need to meet once a month? Start with some pizza and some kids and and ask them what they need. If they say they want a youth advisory board. Then you say, how often do you want to meet? They say once a month. You say, really? Is that realistic for you? Mm-hmm. Do you need to? Could you do once a quarter? Could you do, I mean, like your, your job as the, as the adult when it comes to running youth programs is to check yourself with how much you're telling them what to do and ask more questions than you think you need to ask. Because it's easy for you and I to say, because, you know, we would say, if the, if the teens were to say to me, oh yeah, we're going to meet once a week, it'd be so easy for me to go like, no, you're not like, that's ridiculous. You're too busy. Instead, I say, okay, cool. Is that realistic for you? When you think about your schedule, I can just take a minute. Is that realistic? And then they go, hmm, no, probably not. Maybe every other week. I'm like, okay, well, maybe do you want to try that for a few months maybe and see if that's what you really need? But that takes time, and not many, not many adults want to take that kind of time. Well, what's the power, the, the most powerful piece of the puzzle, as you've just described it, is the question mark, 
right, Mm -hmm. is come from a place of curiosity, that you actually ask them questions, open-ended questions, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's very interesting. And by the way, that's not... You know, that's not some secret sauce. No, it's right? not. Right? I almost feels I almost, almost feel silly kind of, right? doing I mean, this and saying I, this advice because I'm like, oh my gosh, are people just like rolling their eyes like duh? And I'm like, well, I don't I, I think no, but it's how it. it's how people it's how young people and I think it's how Gen Z employees, I think it's how they experience leadership. Mm-hmm. And I think it's why they balk at it. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I, I, right. I mean, the the simplest things are almost always the most important. Tell me about, so I run an organization and I serve young people. Mm -hmm. Should I, should I think about putting a young person on my board? Uh, First, why would you? Well, I mean, I, you know, why would you? So I'm going to, I'm all, let's play this out. I'm, I think. You know, I serve young people, and I think we need to have the voice of our constituents at the table. I totally agree with you. I think if you, this is to anybody, any demographic that you're serving, look around your table. Do you have that person represented at your table? If you don't, I mean, don't beat yourself up too much because the shame game isn't, you know, you don't even play that, but do something about it. But it we might not, not be, be it might not be board service though, Sarah, right? I mean, right. right? And and you have to be really cautious that that person, and this is true of any kind of a board recruitment kind of situation. You have to be really careful that those folks then don't feel like they are congressional representatives of their community or their demographic, right? Is that they they mm-hmm. come with a particular voice based on their lived experience as a tween or a teenager. Mm-hmm. But they also have to understand sort of that they have a lar- that they have an organizational hat on as well. And I think mm-hmm. that that's that's something that's really hard for grown-ups to actually assuming we we actually deserve that term, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. for grownups to even get. So I think that's, it's a, that's a piece of the puzzle. But I think to your point that you can't run an organization that, that serves young people without having a real, like a real and authentic connection with young people mm-hmm. who are helping you to understand whether or not your organization is actually meeting their needs. Yeah. And, and truthfully, WIT hasn't at times. And that's why we've had to make our own changes and pivot our own programming because what they needed three years ago is not what they need today. And we're doing another pivot right now because of what we keep hearing from our teens when we reach out to them to say, what do you need is they want financial literacy. They wouldn't, they don't say it like that. They don't go, please yeah. give me financial literacy. But they say, it'd be really cool to learn about investing. Or you bring in these guest speakers that talk about VC, what does that mean? And you talked yeah. about budget, but what is that? So we've, we're creating a course and a program that's, hap- that's launching in the fall. So well, I didn't, that's not my sweet spot. Right. I, if anything, I was late to the game on that, but I'm bringing in experts that are going to be able to run that program and do that. And so that's, and we're not going to run this other program that we used to run because the kids don't need that anymore. So they also, this is, this was an interesting thing for us. Hackathons were kind of fun things that we were doing pre-COVID. They were kind of one-off things that we were doing. We have more demand for those now because young because these teens and tweens were so isolated during COVID. Yeah, and they, they, they kind of got stunted with their social skills and their growth in that area. And so 
we're bringing them together and we're, and people are like, please come run something where they can learn these. And we're teaching things in those hackathons that we didn't really have to teach before. Hmm. It's because they haven't been doing this kind of stuff and being in person. And so that's been really interesting to see the uptick in that and where they are in their social skills versus where they, where it was a few years ago. So we're almost out of time. I have yeah, a, okay. a question. So you are a nonprofit organization. Do you yes. have any young people on your board? We don't. Mm-hmm. No, we don't have anybody on our official board. That's why when you had said earlier, like, do they have to be at the, at the you know, should I bring somebody on my board? And I was like, you should bring them to the table. And thanks for giving me the chance to clarify that because tables don't have to be a board table. They don't actually and have to be tables either. <laughs> no, they don't. I mean, I think about where we've sat with our kids or the Zoom rooms that we've right? gone into. Yep. And we do have, we don't even call it like a youth advisory board. I mean, I know people like to do those things because it sounds so official. I actually, I really dissuade people from doing those things. Yeah, I know. Me too. Because it's gonna, I just feel like people are going to, then, yeah, then abandon, they're going to, they're going to abandon ship, right? That's what yeah. you're afraid of, right? Yeah. But the thing is, it sets an expectation. People don't actually approach. I, I'm. I. I have a big thing about advisory boards. We put. <laughs> we put. You know, board members who've termed off. We throw them on advisory boards, like as if it's abundantly clear without actually thinking about it. What it is that a bo- advisory board is actually about, and how will <laughs> I know I've been successful when I'm on it for a period of time? So please don't get me started about advisory boards. I would much rather have these regular interactions that you've described Mm -hmm. where, and frankly, regular interactions so that you're staying really close. You're staying close. It's very, I mean, this word's overused, but very authentic for us, the way that we engage with our young people. We have young, we have an internship program. We have a paid internship program where they're leading a lot of things at WIT and that we have meetings with them. So it's, I'm with you. I'm so with you on the advisory board thing. And I think it's important for nonprofit leaders, especially new ones that are listening, because I really, I, this is really important for me to share this. Please. If you are a new nonprofit leader, you probably are wrestling with like wanting to feel important and wanting to feel like you've got it together. And you're going to think you've got to have X number of people on your board and it's got to be a big board. And you're going to probably think I have to have an advisory committee. I did that. I thought I had to have all these things and like 20 people on my advisory board. And then I had this over here and I could go into interviews and say, we have this many people and this many things and we are legit. It's not true. It's just, I, but I know the feeling is you think that, that you're more legit if you have more of those things. And I just want to, and we can, if you're, you are that person, DM me, email me, and I will help you understand that that is not true. And you can be just as legit and impactful, if not more so, smaller, leaner, and more authentic with how you engage with the people that you serve. I love that. I just want to say thank you for being a very important piece of the leadership pipeline in building kind of an an army of tweens and teens who have developed greater EQ, who have actually been able to feel what it feels like to do work that matters. That's a, that it's, 
thank you. It is a real gift to our society. I think it's a gift to the nonprofit leaders who are listening that, oh my goodness, somebody is greasing the skids to get <laughs> teenagers to understand the the magical power of, of doing good works. So mm-hmm. I thank you so much for that. I am, I think all of us are really grappling with generational divides today. Mm-hmm. And I think one of my takeaways here is we all have so much to learn from each other and it, taking a curiosity stance and really investing in young people or Gen Z employees, for those mm-hmm. of you who are struggling in that arena, come at this from a place of curiosity as opposed to why don't you want to follow the rules? Why didn't you do your homework? Why, right? And by the way, that's when, when I say a curiosity stance, that's not what I mean. So anyway, I just wanted to say thank you. I've really enjoyed the conversation very much. And I wanted to give you just an opportunity real quickly to tell people how they can find out more about WIT. Well, thank you for having me. I wish I had longer with you. I feel like we have a lot of things we could chat about. I want to thank the listener too for sticking with us in this conversation. It's okay if some of the things that I said annoyed you or you have resistance to it. I get that feeling, but know that it's all, my work is all coming from a place of I'm still learning and evolving and growing in the work that we do. I would, if you are an organization that works with young people and you are open to collaboration, please reach out. Uh, You can obviously doingwit.org is our website. I'm Miss Wit on Instagram. And if you also, I'd love to put this out there. If you work with young people, young entrepreneurs, and I should know about them, pitch me. Maybe they'll come on our come on our show. I'm happy to share our WIT platforms with young people that aren't even in our WIT programs. I love that. Thank you again to our listeners. As always, such gratitude coming your way for the work that you do every day. We know that it's hard and we appreciate you. And we appreciate the work that you do and hope you found the conversation valuable. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Take good care. Thanks so much for spending time with me today. I hope you found the conversation valuable as you navigate the messy world of nonprofits. Check out all my other resources at joangary.com. Hope you find them helpful too. Lastly, thank you for the work you do to repair the world in ways large and small. I'll see you next time.